May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Yesterday on 9-11, I led prayers in front of a group of thousands of volunteers at the Phoenix Convention Center as they began packing food for the needy. The tragic events of 9-11 from 20 years ago bubbled up with strong emotional memories. But instead of proclaiming a day of mourning, though, the event's organizers seized on the opportunity to love our neighbors in a clear and strategic manner. People who volunteered had a genuine desire to serve and to be a presence of light and love and healing for our greater community. By the end of the day, over 200,000 meals were boxed up to be given to the needy. It was extraordinary. The tragedy of 9-11 disturbed our hearts and invited many of us into a calling of a new life, a spiritual quest of sorts that we continue to follow. While the effect of 9-11 brought many changes in our country regarding dialogue surrounding poverty, immigration, and security, the aftermath also brought economic hardships, a renewed sense of fear of foreigners, and a palpable fear about people's personal safety. Sociologically, we have not fully healed from this destructive shock to our national psyche. As would be appropriate for any survivors of trauma, we as a nation have indeed tried to heal these wounds. We have built memorials. We've gathered to say prayers. We've gathered at rallies, at days of service nationwide. We have renewed our desire for a more unified world and have expressed a desire to proclaim liberty to all people everywhere. Some of this has worked, some has not. But the hidden gems from the good that has come in the aftermath of 9-11 sometimes gets overlooked. The presence of music and art in cities has flourished. Here in Phoenix, the First Friday art movement took off after 9-11, and our very own Olney Art Gallery shined a bright light out onto the street every First Friday evening for all the world to see, like a beacon, to help people know and feel that the people of Trinity Cathedral seek to unite, not divide the community in all that we do. The presence of choirs, too, including our own beloved Trinity Cathedral Choir and our neighbors, the Phoenix Chorale, while already in existence, they took on a new mission of taking music into the hearts of people to comfort those who were sorrowful, to instill pride in our capacities to do good, and to evoke a renewed sense of awe and wonder, of common purpose, in the world. 
We've also taken on significant outreach efforts. Outreach efforts for better societal cohesion, for greater poverty alleviation, for more inclusive educational models. All of these happened because people have taken the tragedies of 9-11 and have sought to transform sadness and pain and redeem them into something that we can all see as something beautiful and good. And we've seen this transformation in Jesus, of him traveling and facing the world's sadness and suffering over the last few weeks, and ushering in a new global reality instead, one of healing and restoration. We've seen the power of the kingdom of God crossing borders, restoring the rejected, the outcast, and we've seen how the kingdom opens the eyes and ears to the afflicted, to the possibilities of this new reality, this great reign of the Messiah, and how life alongside the Messiah will redeem absolutely everything in the world. Even the stuff we see as broken or unsolvable or unfixable. Jesus in his ministry is bringing life and hope and wonder back into the world. To restore the world back to the way God created it to be originally. Something that God called very good. Today's reading hits the pause button on all of that. Jesus instead invites the disciples to reflect. Who do you say that I am? They've all been out teaching and feeding and healing and proclaiming for a good many months now. But Jesus asks a question that many might have thought about, but had never even discussed. Who do you say that I am? And that question resonates to us today as much as it did to them back then. Who is this Jesus? that makes the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Huh? Who is he? Peter's the one who gets it right. You are the Messiah. And suddenly, Jesus' big secret is now out in the open. His identity is revealed. And even though this Messiah is the Prince of Peace. This Messiah isn't going to use force and might to achieve it. This Messiah will undergo pain and great suffering and will die. But the death of this Messiah will not be the end, for this Messiah will rise again. And so Jesus' message to his disciples invites them to follow him by shedding their experiences or their expectations of a militant Messiah and replacing them with a suffering servant, one who is quite meek, but more powerful than life and death itself. And while the story today, while we don't know if this account was written down in real time as things were unfolding between Jesus and his disciples, what we do know 
is that the, what the Gospels record Jesus as saying is what actually came true. And our being here together today is a result of this teaching. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, has been raised from the dead. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, has endured pain and hardship and fear, confusion and rejection and utter destruction. And yet, he rose again, and he is with us now. The people of Trinity Cathedral over the last 15 months have endured a lot of pain and hardship. We've been scared, isolated, we've lost loved ones, we've been separated from the fellowship of one another, and we wondered if we would ever be back together again. And yet here we are, with our choir present with us once again. And even when we faced the threat of utter destruction, because we had no idea what was going to be, we relied on the presence of Jesus Messiah to call us into our better selves, calling us into all sorts of ministry, teaching kids how to read, feeding hungry families at local elementary schools, healing the souls of those who hurt because of illness and loss, and proclaiming hope, abundance, and the love that is only found in God's kingdom. And we've been doing it for a good many months now. We're still doing it, and we are here. And we are not only okay, we are thriving, and we are wonderful, and our ministries continue to expand. We begin this centennial celebration, a year of jubilee for the people of Trinity. And we look back in our hundred year history and we see things that utterly amaze us at the places that we've gone together. We peek into times of triumph and other times, times of great tragedy. We'll take pride in what this community has done for our greater society, and with all our feedback and observations, we'll cast a wide vision for a bright future so that Trinity, this beloved community that has been the cathedral here in downtown Phoenix for the past hundred years, will rise to the challenge and claim our place and will live into becoming the cathedral for our city, our diocese, and the Episcopal Church for the next hundred years and beyond. When Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Our legacy, our triumphs, our capacity to review the good already done, and our capacities to do even greater good in the future will continue to be our response to this question. Our community has proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, as the great restorer of all things. And we've done this in a way that has greatly benefited others. Many you'll hear about over the next year in wonderfully curated forums, talks, and programs. And many of the good things we've done, maybe 
maybe some of those good things will only be known to individuals or to God alone. But we've answered with a resounding yes. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and our work together each and every day as the people of Trinity Cathedral proclaims this. But the late Bishop Barbara Harris, one of my very favorite preachers, the late Bishop Barbara Harris wouldn't be so willing to just let us rest on our laurels. No, <laughs> no way. In order for us to answer Christ's question on this very day and on every day in the future, we have to allow the presence of the Almighty to change us, to form us, to help us grow into and become the people of God in our own very unique Trinity Cathedral sort of way, to grow into a beloved community that's better than anything that we've ever imagined and more. And so in the spirit of this prayer that I first heard from Bishop Barbara Harris, I invite us to pray. Disturb us, O Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little, because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the water of life. When having fallen in love with time, we have ceased to dream of eternity and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of heaven even to grow dim. Stir us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture into wider seas where storms show thy mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. In the name of him who pushed back the horizons of our hopes and invited the brave to follow. Amen. <laughs>